The first scripture reading today comes from Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The second reading comes from Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God. Thanks be to God. I have a friend who once relayed a story to me about uh, going on a mission trip to a South American country. Actually, at this point, I don't even remember which country he had gone to, but they were somewhere in the Amazon, so Brazil or somewhere down in the Amazon, wherever it um, crosses through. And they were going to tribe after tribe after tribe along the river and they were sharing the gospel with people. Now, in these tribes, one of the most predominant um, systems of belief that continue to exist is some form of spiritualism or animism, where they believe that there are many spirits that persist in all kinds of different physical objects. So the trees might have spirits, or different animals might have spirits. And some of these spirits are good spirits, and some of these spirits are malevolent spirits. And so they came upon a house in one of the days that he was there that was covered on the outside with all of these various different dolls and different ritual symbols and various things like that. And when they went in and they talked to the woman, they learned really quickly that this woman was under the control of the local shaman. And what would happen is the shaman would come and would tell you that your house is cursed or that your family is cursed or that this land is cursed or that there are evil spirits that are coming to get you. And they would promise that they are going to protect you from these evil spirits as long as you, can you guys guess it? Pay them, right? As long as you gave them what they, what they um, were worth for their services, then you could have protection from these malevolent spirits. And so you would pay the shaman and then the shaman would do the work of creating some kind of a shell around your house with all of those different objects and spells and everything else so that you would feel safe. So this woman had given a tremendous amount of money to this shaman to protect herself from what she believed to be an imminent threat to herself and to her family. And so as these missionaries come into her house and begin sharing with her, it wasn't the first time the missionaries had been there, but it was the first time my friend had been there. They shared with her the gospel, and she finally relented to the news that Jesus would take care of her. And she said, okay, I give my life over to Jesus, and I am going to commit myself to allow Jesus to protect me. 
And so when she does this, when she gives over the, everything to Jesus, they then tell her, now, you have to listen. This shaman has no more power over you. And these, these tools that he's placed around your house, they are not working to protect you. The only one who can truly protect you and give you life and sustain your life is Jesus. So you can take these things down. And in fact, you need to take these things down as a sign, as a symbol of your trust in Jesus, that these things are no longer what you are putting your trust in, but you are putting your trust in Jesus. And so then they prayed with her and they moved on. And some days later, they came back to her house and she had not taken any of the objects down. And so my friends sat and listened as the missionaries prayed with her and spoke with her more about all these different devices that were outside of her house and, and promised her that Jesus would protect her, that there was nothing that these devices could do that Jesus couldn't do and that Jesus would protect her from even evil things that this shaman might do against her because that's the real fear is right the shaman are actually acting almost like racketeers right or a protection racket where they are um, going around and saying to people that there's this evil that's going on but you're protected as long as you you know pay us we will do the work to protect you okay and so her fear was that if she took all these things down and stopped paying the shaman his protection, that he would do evil black magic against her and he would actually send malevolent and evil spirits. At this point, my friend recognized that this woman had a decision before her that he had never had in his life. As a white, middle-class American, he had never, ever been in a position where he felt like his decision for Jesus was a matter of life or death. He had never made a decision for Jesus where he believed that his trust and his decision in Jesus was a matter of life and death. And so as he watched this woman who deeply believed that she would be at threat from these evil spirits and this shaman in, in the local town, if he stopped protecting her and maybe even turned against her, that she was facing a real decision of imminent danger and life threatened, th threat against her in her decision to trust Jesus. And so this was more than just kind of how we do it, you know, get out of hell free card or whatever we typically think of when we put our faith in Jesus, that we assent to an intellectual belief that, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, but there's not really any call upon our life in that moment oftentimes because we're so safe and secure. And all of a sudden my friend recognized that there was a, def a deficit in his faith in Jesus because he had never faced this moment where he had to place his, his faith in Jesus in the face of what he believed to be an eminent threat against his life. I think that this story is a good illustration as to why, at least in my life, and you can speak only for yourself, that it is so hard to be thankful on a consistent basis to Jesus. It's so easy for me to get stuck in ruts and patterns of just complaining and, and grumbling and being in generally annoying probably to God because I cannot seem to get past my immediate circumstances and see 
how much I have to actually be thankful for. I haven't ever really been in a place where I've recognized how much Jesus has actually done for me and given to me as I've placed my faith and my trust in him. Let me illustrate it a slightly different way. I've done ministry with homeless folks almost my entire career with youth. And we would typically, in early days of youth ministry, we would go out and we would make sandwiches kind of to prep and we'd make a huge bag of sandwiches and we'd, we'd go out to a downtown area and we'd walk around and we would hand sandwiches out. And I remember the first time that we did this and I had a little bit of pushback from one of the folks I handed a sandwich to. He, he stopped me after I handed a sandwich to him. He said, are you going to sit with me? And it hadn't even crossed my mind that he might need something more than just giving him some food, some provision, right? And so I sat with him and I listened to his story and I listened to what happened in his life. And I, I recognized in that moment that he was treated like an object by so many other people, a, a, something, an obstacle, something that's in the way or an annoyance that he needed as much as food. He needed somebody to treat him with real human dignity. And so after that, I began to push my students to not just hand sandwiches out, but for us to actually go in teams with adults and everything, but to sit down and to have conversations, to share a meal with, with somebody who is on the street, not just, just hand them a sandwich and move on. And this evolved into ministry over the years of working with homeless shelters and stuff. And when I was at one church, we went to a ministry that dealt with and, and worked with people who were on the street and they would serve um, two meals a day out of their church and they would feed over 400 people a day in those two different meals. And those people would usually kind of just spread out around the courtyard of the church or around the parking lot area and they would sit and they would eat their meal there on the property. So what we did as our group was there ministering to the ministry that was doing this, uh, we would actually spread out and began to listen and talk with the various people. And I had encouraged our youth to do this, to sit and to ask the person that you're sitting with about themselves, about their story. And I remember one of the youth came to me after that and he recognized in the story of the man that he was talking to that this man was very successful at one time, that he had had a ton of success in his life. And yet here he is on the street, homeless, without a penny to his name, addicted to alcohol and completely destitute. And as he listened to his story, he began to recognize, this youth began to recognize that his story could be his own story, that this homeless man's story could be this youth's story, that things in his life had gone a certain way that he made certain choices in reaction to bad things that had happened to him and that he ended up in this position on the street, not necessarily because he was such a terrible human being or he had some kind of deficiency from anybody else, but instead only because he had made some bad decisions on top of some bad circumstances that happened to him. So there was a certain amount of there but go I, there but for the grace of God go I. And he recognized, this teenager recognized for the first time I could end up on a street. All it would take would be a certain set of circumstances to happen to me in my life, some of which I might have control over, some of which I might not. And I could end up in the position of this man. You know what that youth told me? 
I'm so much more thankful for the things that God has blessed me with, recognizing that so much of what I have, I have no control over. And I think in our society, at least for me, it's so difficult for us to understand and to recognize a, a spirit of gratitude within ourselves and to be thankful because we have such a deep illusion of control. We feel like we're in control of things. We've, we've done all the right things. We've made all the right decisions and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. We, all, we encourage it around here, right? We try to teach our children and our youth to make good decisions. But ultimately, we begin to ingrain ourselves with a spirit and an idea that we are the masters of our own universe. And we don't recognize that everything that we have and everything that we've been given is truly actually from God even when we work for it, even when we make good decisions and we move in the right directions, that the fact that calamity hasn't fallen upon us is only because God continues to bless us and continues to give us the security and safety that we have. And that, that in and of itself is something to be thankful about. And we don't recognize this, so we don't develop this spirit of gratitude. Yet, when we look to the scriptures, we see all throughout the entire scriptures, a thread of this idea of thankfulness. In fact, the word thankful, um, the main word for thankfulness and or for giving thanks in Hebrew, yada, and the main word in the New Testament in Greek, Greek is eucharisto. Uh, these words are used a, com a combined amount of 140 different times throughout the Old and the New Testaments. That's a significant amount of times that that same word is used. And of course, there's other words that can mean the same thing or the same idea as gratitude or giving thanks. So that even adds on top of it. And over and over, when you begin to read and look and examine how this word of thanksgiving is used, it's often used in recognizing our own inability to control our own lives, our own humility before the God who gives us any blessing that we receive, even, even if we're in the middle of trials and tribulations, and then a reaction, a response to those recognitions in God to praise and thanks him. In fact, yada, the root of the word yada, literally means to kind of hold your hands out, to hold your hands out, to give back to God. Eucharisto literally means to speak good words, to speak words of grace too. And so we recognize and understand that this idea of giving thanks to God is a call to us in Scripture. And it is something driven by us recognizing God's grace towards us. Jesus tells a story as he's sitting with a Pharisee because in this, this setting, a woman has come in. The Pharisee invited him to come into his house and to, to speak to him. And then this woman bursts into the scene. And she's kind of known to be a woman of not really smart decisions or has ended herself in situations where she's doing things that others could potentially judge her as, oh, I'm more righteous than she is. And she comes and because Jesus has forgiven her and healed her and given her some kind of grace or blessing in his ministry in the past, she brings with her an ointment and she begins to anoint Jesus's feet. And then she begins to cry tears of of repentance and of self-recognition of the, her position before the God of all things in this man, Jesus. And then as she cries, she begins to wipe his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee, whose house it is, says, if you knew who this woman was, you would cast her out. 
And so he, Jesus tells a story of two people, one who owed a great deal amount of money and one who owed a short or a smaller amount of money. And he then asks the Pharisee, who do you think is going to love the master who forgives those two debt more, the one who owed a greater debt or the one who owed a lesser debt? And the Pharisee says, well, of course, the one who owed a greater debt. Now, you could just change the word there for love for Thanksgiving, right? Who's going to give more thanks and more praise to the master who forgives a greater debt? Uh, the one who has that, own, that great debt or the one who has a smaller debt? Of course, the one who has the greater debt. And so in our lives, we have to begin to recognize how much God has blessed us, how much God has given to us, and how much we depend upon God for our very life in order for us to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Now, this is one thing I think is a blessing of COVID. Because in times of national or international world trials, situations which we have very little control over, right? Like a pandemic or a natural disaster or an economic collapse or other things like this, they began to remind us how much that illusion of control really is an illusion. Right. And we don't have the control that we assume in our minds that we do have. And in fact, it can be taken from us with no fault of our own and no decisions of our own at any given moment, pretty much instantly. And when we recognize that we come more humbly before God and we recognize our position of dependence on God. So this begins to form in us a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of gratitude towards God. And I want to give you a couple of practices that you can do in these days to begin to cultivate this spirit of thankfulness. This first one is super, super simple. Maybe I should leave this for the last one, um, but I'm going to put it as the first one. First one is every single day at the end of the day, sit down and just think about the things that you have to be thankful to God about whether it's your health, whether it's your family, whether it's friends, whether it's your house, whether it's your clothes, whether it's food, whatever it might be, you can think of some list of things which you can be thankful about every single day, right? Can I get an amen by just a little honk? All right, there you go. We can all give uh, some kind of list at the end of every day, recognizing the things that we have to be thankful to God about. So that's the first thing. You can Add that to your journaling practices of listening and uh, meditation and things like that that we've talked about in the past is uh, every once in a while or maybe every single day, sit and just write a list of the things that you have to be thankful about. Now, here comes some more difficult things. I was once having some very difficult times in a relationship with somebody who I was kind of forced to, to be with. I, I was in a no real situation to not be in a relationship with this person. This was many, many years ago. And yet I was really struggling with that relationship. And one of my mentors began to tell me, why don't you, why don't you begin to think about all the things in which that other person has or is or whatever that is a blessing to the world around them and maybe even a blessing to you. And I want you to pray at least once a week, a prayer of thanksgiving for that person. Man, was this a genius stroke of mentoring, right? 
Because how hard is it for you to stay angry or resentful or bitter or you know frustrated with some other person in your life when you begin to intentionally think about what that person has to be thankful for in your life or what things you see in their life and the way they impact the world around them that are good things and so you can be thankful about them. It's super difficult for you to stay angry at somebody when you are praying prayers of thanks for that person. Now, when I say this, the first thing that comes to mind, at least for me, is you know, the, the same thing as the, the, the Pharisee who sees the tax collector beating his chest, right? Thank you, God, that I do not nothing like this terrible person, right? That's the first thought that often comes to mind. Not those prayers, genuine things that you see that are redemptive in the person that you're struggling in relationship with and thank God for those things. And then you, I think in that you'll begin to form some empathy towards maybe that person. And you'll begin to see their perspective differently than you were seeing it before that was causing you the frustration. And maybe, maybe even through that change of spirit in you, you might begin to react differently and you might begin to offer in some way restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness, for what the other person is doing that might not be healthy or good towards you. So this is the first practice I think is really difficult. The second practice, very similar to this. And it's like what we are in right now. We're in a situation, we're in a life circumstance where there are a lot of difficult things going on in the world, right? We have uh, a world economic difficulty right now and world economic collapse in a, in a lot of ways. We have a pandemic going on that there seems to be little truth or real solid knowledge coming out of the research on it to fix it. There's all these things that are going on and then there's all these political divisions and there seems to be a heightening racial division within our own country and all of these things can lead for us to feel like there's no hope and, that, and just start feeling anxious. So when we have times like this where trials are heaped upon us, can we develop a discipline to look through the fog of all that seems to be going wrong? and still recognize the blessings that God has given to us during this time. And then thank God for those things. And similar to thinking about a person that you're having a difficult time with, it's really, really difficult for you to stay depressed or stay angry or stay frustrated or stay hopeless when you began to thank God for all the things that God is continually blessing with us with even in the midst of those trials. So if you practice these three things as a challenge to yourself to sit and to write daily lists of thanksgiving or at least regular lists of thanksgiving in your life no matter what's going on, to thank God for even the people who are challenging or frustrating in your life and to thank God for the blessings that you can see even through the midst of all kinds of trials and tribulations. I think then in practicing those disciplines, you can begin to develop in your heart a spirit of gratitude an attitude of gratitude, as we all have heard over and over and over again. And maybe some of us have even said to our kids, right? A couple of us, hands out your window, a couple of you uh, have probably said that to your kids. Only me? All right, fine. I'm a cliche as a parent, fine. So if we do this, if we begin to develop this heart where we recognize our dependence on God, all that God has blessed us with, then we can more naturally come and we might more often come with praise and thanksgiving on our lips for all that God has done for us. And now go from here with a spirit of thankfulness, with an understanding of all the things that God has done for you to bless you, 
even in spite of how the world might feel right now, and begin to form disciplines of acknowledging all that God has given to you so that you can keep this heart of gratefulness and thankfulness towards God every single moment of every single day. And in that, you will shine forth the glory of God's gospel as people wonder why in the world you're smiling when everybody else is grumbling. And may the God who gives us so much and blesses us with so much in this wonderful life continue to show you his blessings so that you might praise and sing his name all throughout all your lives so that others might come to know him too. In Jesus' name, amen.